uh, even a cursory glance at uh, contemporary culture uh, today it revealed an obsession with strong female characters, doesn't it? Uh, an obsession with strong female leads. You see that in music, don't you? With people sort of fascination with Beyonce or uh, Adele. Or you see it in film as well. Recent releases or upcoming films like Wonder Woman. As opposed to a lesser extent, even uh, Beauty and the Beast. So strong, independent women are all the rage, aren't they? Well, contrary to popular belief, the word of the God, the word of God, the Bible is also full of awesome, heroic women. And this evening, we are going to look at what I think is one of the very best. Uh, because this evening, instead of dealing with you know, the, the people of Israel as a whole, as, as the Old Testament so often does, doesn't it? Uh, instead of that, tonight, do you see what happens in First Samuel? Like, immediately the, the book opens and we're kind of zoomed right in there. And it's not even in, in a family. It's not even zoomed right into a couple. It is zoomed right into this one woman that we've got in First Samuel chapter 1, isn't it? So tonight, what do we get to do? Tonight, we get to look at the story of Hannah. Now, at the start of 1 Samuel, at first glance, a lot of things seem to be going very well for Hannah. Don't they? Like she's married. It's a big deal in the ancient world. Not only that, she's married to a guy who seems to be fairly well to do. Isn't he? Do you notice how he's presented to us? He's presented to us right through to the fourth generation. And he also seems to be, you know, fairly wealthy as well, does this guy? Elkanah, he's able to afford all these kind of lavish offerings to God. And what else is he able to afford, Elkanah? He's able to afford not one, but two wives. And I think it's maybe in that, in the way that Elkanah's two wives are introduced to you this evening, that we get this hint that, oh, actually, maybe things aren't as rosy as they seem for Hannah. Do you notice what we're told in verse 2? Because it's critical to all of this. Do you see verse 2? Penina's got kids. What about Hannah? Hannah does not have any children. And you and I were well versed enough in the Bible to know that that was a disastrous thing for a woman in the ancient world. Don't we know that? Like to be without, to be unable to bear children, to be barren. Like it's not just something that led to shame. It was that, but it's more than that, isn't it? It's not just something that led to stigma. It's something genuinely that led to sort of contempt, like almost kind of hatred from the people around. If a woman couldn't bear kids. And I'm saying to you, isn't that exactly what happens in 1 Samuel? Do you see what happens? Elkanah takes his family up to Shiloh to worship God. What happens when they're there? Man, Hannah is bullied. Isn't that it? Like Penina really sets on her, intimidating her, terrorizing her. Hannah, who do you think you are? Look at you, you can't even have any children. God doesn't love you. God would give you children if he did. Isn't that awful? Isn't it awful? So awful, do you see where it leads? Hannah breaks. And you're shown this picture in First Samuel 1 of a woman who is 
crying. Like she is bitter, she's broken, and she's weeping. She really is crying aloud. So let me say this to you. You see the misery of that woman? That misery is going to come to every single one of us in this room. And I'm deadly serious about that. You know, even if we are faithful to God, even if we are obedient to God in this life, our Christian walk, your Christian walk, is going to be one that is peppered with tragedy and it's peppered with upset. And so tonight I'm saying, yes, we're going to look at the story of Hannah, but we're going to try and learn from her about dealing with despair. Okay? So let's let's get into First Samuel chapter 1. First thing that we learn about dealing with despair is that in tough times, you and I should be prayerful to a God of care. Prayerful to a God of care. So we've got the scene. Everyone's got the scene. We've traveled up with Elkanah up to Shiloh to worship God. It's about 20 miles north of Jerusalem. And Hannah is having a miserable time. Penina is bullying, terrorizing her. So how does Hannah respond to this awful, impossible situation? Have a look with me at verse 10, and we'll see how she responds. If you see it in verse 10. Hannah's deeply distressed. What does she do? She prays to the Lord. She prays. Now, I think, okay, that we need to notice that this was a prayer that was both sincere in the sense that when Eli mistakes her from being drunk, do you see what she can say to Eli? She can say, I'm not drunk. I've been pouring out my soul to God. Do you see that this woman here, her prayer in a time of distress, it's sincere. So it's both sincere, but the prayer is also very, 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 very specific. Now, do you see what I mean by specific? What does she pray? She enters into a commitment with God in this prayer. And it's a commitment. Do you see what it is? That if he should bless her with a son, with a child, what's she going to do? She's going to enter that child into what was called a Nazarite vow. Now, we've looked at this, I think, twice recently. Do you remember what a Nazarite vow was? That the child wouldn't have his hair cut, he wouldn't eat or drink of the vine. Most importantly, he would be entered into full-time temple service. Do you see it? So this is a sincere prayer, but it's also very, very specific. Okay? Now, tell you what, to be honest with you, I'm actually more concerned here with what this prayer brings to Hannah. So I want us to think of it like this. I uh, have been trying for years now to comfort my children. Like if, if you are a parent or even if you've just babysat once in your life, you know what it's like. Um, let's say it's a toddler and they fall and they scrape their knee. What do they do? They wail. You know, they scream the house down. And what do we do if we're a parent or we're a babysitter? We, we do anything just to try and stop it crying. You know, we'll try to do anything to just show it some care and just to calm it down and, and show it, you know, just to try and comfort it somehow. You know, I've been doing this for 
Eight years now. Eight years. Just trying to think the best way of calming down a little child. Do you know what? It's taken me eight years, but I now know the answer. I do. I really do. And do you know what? It comes down to just one solitary word. Okay, take it from me. So you've got a screaming kid there. We won't stop crying. All you need to do is look at the child and say to the child, Haribo? And the child is fine. Suddenly things change. You know, the, the tears go, the anger goes, and uh, the child immediately smiles. Because does the child think? The child thinks, he's going to give me a sweetie. He's going to give me a sweetie. Now, but more seriously, isn't that what we see with Hannah? Because don't we see an incredible change of mood? With Hannah. Now, do you see what I mean? Think about what she's like before she prays. Like she's weeping out loud. Did you notice we're told that she is so upset she can't even eat? Like she's bitter, she's wailing. Then what happens? She prays. And then what does that lead to? Do you notice that in verse 18? Now, yeah, now she'll feast. She prays. Now she's eating. And we're told as well that she is no longer sad. Isn't that amazing? Like, do you see the transformation that takes place? And I'm saying to you tonight, that surely gives us an encouragement to pray, an incentive to pray, especially when we're in despair. Because think about it, nothing's changed for this woman. Isn't that right? At this point here, like, her circumstances are exactly the same at that point. Like, nothing has changed at all. And yet, just by bringing it to God... Just by the act of bowing before God in prayer, what happens? God has given her peace. She prayed. It leads to peace. Hannah's prayer also leads to provision. Because how does the story unfold? They were up there in Shiloh. They return to Elkanah's hometown. And look at the expression in verse 9. Verse 19, rather, sorry, verse 19. We learn that the Lord remembered Hannah. What, what do you think that means? The Lord remembered Hannah. Do you think that the Lord has a faulty memory? Hannah? Hannah? Oh yeah, I remember Hannah? It's not that, is it? For the Lord to remember someone means he is just about to act on their behalf and act powerfully. And isn't that what we see? He hears the prayer and he answers the prayer. She becomes pregnant. She bears a child. And this woman who, remember, she was weeping at the beginning of the chapter. How does it end? She's delighting. She's rejoicing in God. Friends, isn't that in itself an encouragement for you to pray. Isn't, from verse 1 to the end of this chapter, isn't it, all of it, is massive incentive for us to pray when we're in times of despair. Why do we pray? Because consider the God we have. Look at it. He is not just a big picture God. He cares for individuals. Poor, vulnerable women. God cares. God cares for Hannah, but God cares for you. He doesn't just see and know your predicament tonight. God is a God who cares and provides. That's your God. So what do we do? Like Hannah? Are we despairing? 
So we are to be prayerful to God to care. Second of all, though, we are to be faithful to a God of promise. We are to be faithful to a God of promise in tough times. I think I've said this to you before, but when it was released, my wife Catherine almost immediately became addicted and obsessed uh, with that TV series, The Crown. And I know, because you've told me that some of you have seen that and watched it, that Netflix series about the royal family. Um, so much to my disgust, Catherine was hooked on this. And uh, she said that in some ways the crown was almost too good. She said it was almost kind of too gripping because she would be watching, especially the early episodes that deal with Elizabeth's early days, and she would almost forget the significance of the characters involved. You know, she would watch it and she'd have to remind herself, oh yeah, this is supposed to be the queen that we're dealing with here, okay? Now, it is imperative that you and I don't do that with First Samuel. Because yes, what have I said, we're dealing with this family circumstance tonight. But if you and I are going to understand 1 Samuel chapter 1, we really, really have to appreciate significance of the people that are involved. This is not an ordinary family, and I need to underline that. So who are these people? Well, would you do this with me? Would you look at how the book begins? Look at the first phrase of the book. Do you see what it says? There was... What? A certain man. Does that ring any bells? There was a certain man. Is it? should do, because I know at least two house groups have gone through the book of Judges. That's a phrase that's repeated time and time again in the book of Judges. That helps us to work out what's going on here, because First Samuel follows on chronologically from the book of Judges. You see what that means? Or not? What you're dealing with there, this is a transitional period between the time where the people of Israel are ruled by judges and the time that they go on to be ruled by kings. So this is happening at this point here. Now, let me ask you this. See the child that's born here in 1 Samuel 1, this little boy Samuel. If this is a transitional period before the monarchy... What role do you think this little kid is going to play in the story of Israel? Because he's not an ordinary little baby, is he? This little boy, Samuel, he is going to be the kingmaker himself. Now get your head around that. This little baby that's born to Hannah here, he's the one chosen by God to establish the monarchy over Israel. Like this little baby, this little one here, chosen by God to set up, what is it? It's the divinic dynasty. This little child, isn't it incredible? Like this is big stuff. A dynasty, a monarchy that foreshadows the rule, the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, isn't it? This is big, this is big stuff. So let me ask you this, follow me. What does that mean from Hannah's point of view? Do you see it? Think about it. How does this great dynasty emerge? It comes out of this horrible, terrible time that Hannah is having in 1 Samuel chapter 1. 
Isn't that amazing? That great Davidic dynasty coming out of this. And though I wouldn't have known anything about it, that's what's happening, isn't it? That though Penina is bullying her and attacking her at that point, she doesn't realize it, but God's about to use that situation, that trial and that test. He's going to use it not just for the furtherance of Israel, but for the glory of his own great name. All of that out of this terrible trial. And I'm asking you tonight, doesn't that teach us an utterly crucial lesson as Christians in the 21st century? Because what do we do, friend, if a terrible providence, if you like, hits your life? Illness, redundancy, whatever, relationship breakdown. What do we tend to do? Don't we often respond just like the pagans respond? Don't we? Like This thing happens to us and we really panic and we genuinely worry about this. And we're despairing at the utter hopelessness of it all. But is that how you and I should behave as Christians? Should we just be like the world? Like, isn't this true? Think about this. That your despair, my despair, it should be moderated by the knowledge of the working of God. Do you see that? We don't don't just act like the rest of the world. We have hope. What's our hope? It's not that God might use that circumstance for his glory. That is not our hope. Our hope is the fact that in his word, God has promised that he will always, every single time, he will use our trials and our tribulations for his glory, for substantial, for spiritual good. Isn't that marvelous? Like with Hannah, God will use our troubled circumstances. That there should lessen our panic and it should dilute our despair. So we see that we've got to be prayerful and we see that we've got to be faithful. The last thing here though is that we should be grateful to a God of grace. Grateful. Okay, tonight if you follow in First Samuel 1, you'll see that tonight we're dealing with despair. Bottom line, we're dealing with despair. And we're seeing that in despair, we've got to be prayerful as Christians. We should remember that God is going to use our circumstances. Okay, we've got that. Now, I want to close with something different. Very different. Uh, because I want you to see this evening that probably everyone in here, and if it's not everyone, it's most of us in here, that we have a very similar arrangement with God to the one that Hannah has in First Samuel chapter 1. So I'll say that again because it's important. Nearly everyone, maybe all of us in here, have a similar arrangement with God to the one that Hannah has. Does that sound strange to you well what's hannah's arrangement with god she's entered into a commitment with god what's the commitment the commitment that she is going to set aside she's going to dedicate her child to what to god to the knowledge of god to the service of god right well if you're a member of london city presbyterian church or if you're a parent of london city presbyterian church Aren't you in a similar circumstance to that? Like, what is it that we do when we baptize a child in this congregation? And they come up the front. 
Their parents bring them up the front, and we as a congregation stand, and we are really standing to witness it, but we're standing before God, and we're entering into a vow with God. What are we committing to doing? We're setting aside that child, dedicating that child to what? To the knowledge and to the service of the Lord God Almighty. Do you see? There's Clearly, there's a, a, a parallel here. So I've got two questions to ask, and then we're done. Two questions. First question is this. What happens at the end of 1 Samuel 1? Hannah keeps her vow. When the child is old enough, when it is weaned, she takes that child and she travels back up to Shiloh and she passes the child over to God. Now, are you thinking she doesn't want to do this? Just think that she's hesitant about, oh, no, 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 no. Not for a second. There is nothing on this earth that Hannah wants to do more than pass this little boy over at the service. Do you see it? Like, do you see the fact that she takes up all of these offerings and sacrifices? Do you see at the end here, she's just celebrating. She's rejoicing, delighting in the fact that she can keep her vow. That's what happens at the end here. Second question is this. What about you? And what about me? Are we keeping our vows that we've made to God? I mean, what about the children of this congregation? I mean, it's a solemn thing to stand and witness the baptism of a child. If you're a parent in here, and if you're a member of London City Presbyterian Church, how actively involved are you in the spiritual nourishing of the covenant children? Really? Like, are you involved in the teaching of these children? Or let me make it even more simple here. Are you setting an example for the kids? Really? Like, in the way that you behave? Are you showing the children, even of this church, are you showing them that God's day and God's word and God's son are the most important things? Are we doing that? Are we keeping the vows that we have made as parents, as members? Because isn't the God that we have to tell these children about, isn't he marvelous? Just think about First Samuel chapter 1. What could we tell the kids? We could say, God listens to prayer. God answers prayer. God, we can teach the kids, he's even going to work through all of the trials you're going to have. That's how great God is. Ah, but wait, what has God done? What is, come on, think, think, First Samuel chapter 1, what has God done for you, for me? What do we see in Calvary Hill? God the Father has taken his own son, his son, think of Hannah, a son he loves so much. And what has God done? He has set him aside, dedicated his son for what? For service. Here's the thing. What is the great gospel reversal? Who is he serving? He's serving you. Isn't that what we see at Calvary Hill? God gives his son for you, for me, for those who will trust in him. Friends, in despair, turn to God. In the teaching of the children in this congregation, we 
turn to God and see it tonight as you go home. Turn to God and like Hannah, worship him. Worship him for this wonderful provision that he has made for all of those he loves.